0: Welcome back to the Movie Babel Podcast. It's been a couple weeks here, a little bit of, I guess we can call it mid-season, uh, mid-season bumpiness a little bit. People have been a little busy. Nick has been quite busy, myself. Uh, I've been quite busy. Colin's down in Florida, I believe, right now. Crazy place, but he's down there. Um, but yeah, we, we've all been pretty busy, but we are finally back here at the Movie Babel Podcast.
1: Nick, uh, how you doing? Contrary to popular belief, I have a life. And sometimes that uh, takes precedent over this pod. But we are back. It's good to be back. I missed you.
0: Yeah, I missed you too. It is it is good to be back. We got so much to talk about. I think, yeah, we, we were ready for a couple weeks and that kind of makes for a pretty epic episode here. So I think we're going to really uh, jump through a lot of different topics. Uh, first and foremost, we have an interesting last couple weeks with the box office. So we had two weeks ago, Black Widow come out and open up, modestly 80 million dollars I mean it's pretty great given uh what we're what we're experiencing uh 78 million overseas no China opening that's that's a big note and you know some people were underwhelmed but then Disney throws out there 60 million on Disney plus right so that's Disney kind of I mean does that make you think maybe Cruella maybe Raya maybe mulan maybe they didn't have quite the same numbers on disney plus that black widow did or maybe they needed a safe face in a way because after such a strong friday for black widow uh two weeks ago it kind of dropped off on the saturday sunday people were starting to think oh this thing could open up to 100 million but it ended up opening to 80 either way this movie is making money whether it's through disney plus premier access or at the theaters worldwide but it is uh, definitely something to think about and i doubt we're going to see disney plus numbers again unless it's a way to
1: change the narrative. Oh, definitely. I, I feel like we're in we like to talk about box office obviously as we how we always started this podcast, but like i said th- i have no idea at this point, <laughs> you know, because i feel like with something uh, with some company like disney, it's it's turned more into a narrative spin as you mentioned there instead of actual numbers. It it's kind of more in the line of how can we make our company sound good for shareholders? It seems like it's the focus has shifted more towards stock price in the sense rather than throwing in box office numbers to the mix, you know? So when you see something like black widow, like those, those, all those numbers sound pretty good, I guess. And then you add the extra 60 million in there. What does it all mean? I, I guess it was, I guess that's doing okay. You know, um, I cut, ca- I appreciate, these th- like these movies like like Escape Room Two, where Sony has no streaming service, and I can look at the number and say, okay, it's doing this, you know. Uh, with Black Widow, Black Widow and it just gets it gets it gets really hairy. But uh, yeah, you don't love to see that seventy percent ish drop that it had this past weekend in its second week. But um, I think it is it's it is doing good numbers on Disney Plus too. So I'd, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm still of the mindset. I've kind of taken this 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 uh, thought on that. Yeah, seventy percent was a pretty big drop here for Black Widow in its second weekend. I think it's going to have good legs throughout the summer. I think what we've seen with a lot of these movies that have come out this summer: big first weekend, big second weekend drop, great legs after that. We've seen it with The Quiet Place 2. We've seen it with F9 now, which dropped big. Now it has pretty good legs. Um, I think we'll see that with Black Widow. But yeah, that's a big drop. I'm of the mindset that if you're going to get this on Disney Plus, it's going to be at the beginning. Like, I really think if you're going to be spending $30 or so to get this movie on Disney Plus, that's in the first week. So, I do expect Disney Plus numbers to be front loaded. I could be saying something that's completely untrue here, but I think it's just kind of. Kind of logic, uh, in my mind, I think you could you could picture people in mid August going up to the theater seeing what's playing and checking out Black Widow, but I just can't picture someone in mid August, mid August, sorry, getting Black Widow for thirty bucks on Disney Plus. So it's, I think it's a revenue stream that's great at the start. Maybe it'll it'll slow down for them, but yeah, it's 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 interesting, um, and it also hurts uh, no China release. August and July are blackout month really for non Chinese films. They kind of try to prioritize local um, product in, in July and August uh, at their box office. They're trying to negotiate something with that, but obviously piracy is going to be a big concern for the Chinese numbers um, because it's already out on Disney+. Plus. You can get a copy for that, um, and and it can be watched online, right? So it's, uh, it, it's definitely interesting. It is making money, but who knows? I doubt we'll see next week with Jungle Cruise, I doubt we'll see Disney Plus numbers get released for that.
1: Oh, definitely not. There's not a chance. Because I, I can't... Im- is there anybody who's excited for that movie? Like Anywhere? It's, I don't know. It's My guess is they're going to try to keep all the numbers that under wraps. Or if it's cataclysm- cataclysmically bad, then they'll try to release some kind of numbers. But I think this was just a kind of more of a one-off thing with Black Widow. Because you know, they have... We'll talk about Loki in a little bit. Where they have their TV stuff going on. That's been really successful. So it's kind of been this whole conversation of is the MCU kind of moving towards streaming or is it staying in theaters? And uh, I think... And plus, this Black Widow has just been... A, we've been talking about this movie for, what, three, four years. I feel like people have wanted this movie since she first showed up in Iron Man 2. So this has been in the consciousness for a while, and I feel like they're trying to just put as the good spin on it whenever they can. So it's like that's part of it. It's all of a, its all a spin game now. Everyone's finding their own slants, I guess. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, when you, can, when you don't have to show... All the numbers, right? When you kind of own that, when you own the the revenue stream there with Disney+, Plus, it's not published like it is at the box office, right? So we can't 100% analyze things. But, yeah, it's certainly a lot of spin. And I doubt we'll see the Jungle Cruise numbers next week. Unless, as you said, it's a massive flop. Maybe they'll throw something in there to try to pad it. But we'll see. Uh, Speaking of that, though, Loki, we both watched it. uh, And we both haven't seen Black Widow. Interesting. But we, we will, maybe. I will. I don't know about you. <laughs>
1: eh, sure, why not? I'll get to it eventually because I have to for the discourse, I guess.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I got to see it for Florence Pugh because I've seen. Uh, I didn't see Lady Macbeth in theaters, but I saw I saw Fighting with My Family, Midsummer, and Little Women. So I'm on a streak. So I got to see this. Got to keep going
1: with the Florence Pugh train. Isn't she in a like a terrible Netflix horror movie too? It's, it's like a really generic title. It's called Malevolent or something like that. It's one of uh-huh. those yeah I'm not sure it was one of those it was kind of like the uh the Jennifer Lawrence horror movie what was that one called do you remember that one the winters or
0: is this the end of the street something yeah it it was that one
1: one? which was filmed years before and then she became popular then the studio released it it was kind of one of those situations with Florence Pugh anyway sidetracked um yeah I love Florence Pugh I'll probably see it eventually (laughs) just for her (laughs) but uh yeah Loki is far more my jam when it comes to the MCU um Like I guess just opening thoughts here. I thought this thing was cool. And I'm at the point now where I feel like I'm so saturated with MCU stuff. It's kind of more the point where I'm so far into it. Can I actually leave? Can I jump off the train at this point? But I really want to, but then you feel kind of left out. It's a whole weird thing in my head. But uh, something like this, it just makes me excited for what they can do. Because I feel like we'll talk spoilers in a second, but Um, this, this thing ends and it's one of the few times recently that I've watched something in the MCU where this is, this is where I came to the conclusion of this was a really cool thing. I really enjoyed this self-contained story and I cannot wait to see what happens next. Uh, so yeah, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I'm someone who I'm starting to kind of develop that same mindset you have where I'm not as thrilled or excited to see uh, MCU stuff, like, I'm just not, I mean, I mean, I I do say that, but I think there might just be a lull right now, like, I am pretty excited for Eternals when that drops, I think there's a lot of, uh, intrigue there, even Shang-Chi I'm pretty excited for, but I just haven't felt it like I did a couple years ago, um, I think Endgame just felt like a good capper for me personally, that there, I don't know what else they could do, uh, I enjoyed WandaVision, I did, I skipped out on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'll maybe watch it at some point, probably, but I just, didn't kind of get around to watching that but I did watch Loki because I mean the buzz was fantastic and it was it was certainly interesting and finally one of the uh, iconic characters in this franchise gets gets kind of put under the spotlight and I did enjoy it quite a bit um, I, I like the beginning and end of the season I think the middle was a little bit uh, not as good for me but I did love the way this thing opened and the way this thing closed and I am looking forward to season two as well. Um, who was a standout for you throughout these six episodes?
1: Uh, well, other than Hiddleston, who I thought was tremendous, kind of, I always liked Loki, but I feel like this is by far the most time we spent with him. So he's re- he really got a chance to shine. I thought he was terrific, but so- Sophia DiMartino as Sylvie is awesome. I've never seen her before. I thought she was so good in this, and she was toe to toe with Hiddleston and all the other characters. I, I I have no idea where she came from. I'm looking forward to kind of going back through the rest of her filmography and seeing her. Because I thought she was like pretty like low-key at Revelation in this. Yeah, low-key, low-key Revelation, yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it, but Jonathan Majors as uh Kang, I guess, was they're co- I mean he's he who remains right here, but he's he's gonna be Kang, right? That's kind of that's his name. Um he's cool. Like he's just Chewing in the scenery so hard in this in this last episode where he, i feel like he's one of the few actors that made a really strong choice in the mcu because everyone it's been talked about so much but everyone's just quip after quip and they're all kind of versions of the same character in a sense with slight variations here and there and i think loki is one of them too but jonathan majors just came out like a cannonball and just Went out, went out here and tried something, and I thought it worked really well because it was kind of funny, but also eerie and creepy and ominous, and it kind of like portends to what's coming next. And we get we got that massive cliffhanger at the end of this the episode where it's his massive statue and at the TVA, and who knows what timeline we're in at this point. Uh, he's just cool. I and he's ever since the last Black Man in San Francisco, he's been one of my favorite actors working. So the fact that he's in, it's kind of like the, I like think the Godfather three meme, like I thought I was out and then they just pulled me right back in, you know, it's just, it's just that every time I'm really looking forward to like, this is the time I'll finally leave the MCU and just kind of call it quits. But then they do shit like this and they bring people in I really like, so yeah. I don't know. they're just really yeah. good at casting. That's probably, that's the reason I'll probably end up watching black widow too. Like you mentioned, like I gotta get, I gotta see Florence Pugh. She's one of the best actresses working. So I don't know. Keep yeah, reeling back in. in.
0: Yeah, Jonathan Majors is having quite a moment, right? I mean, we saw him in Five Bloods last year. He's got Creed III coming up. Um, he's in uh, Nat Love's Western, The Heart of They Fall, which I'm very excited for. Um, and then they already got him here for Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, the third film there, which I don't know who's quite excited for that, but maybe him in that will uh, will elevate some some worries for that uh, film. But yeah, I mean, his his... It was pretty much his episode, the finale. He was the he was the guy. He was the lead. He was the focus of that last episode, really, and he owned it. And it was very unique to see a sixth episode and a finale of a, a Marvel show where it wasn't all um, explosions. It wasn't yes. all uh, it Absolutely. wasn't all you know through the over the top action, right? It's just, it's something that we really haven't seen in an MCU movie or, or property. Um, even the other shows uh, I haven't seen one of them but even WandaVision kind of went out with a big bang there but this was a very reserved episode a lot of just talking a lot of revealing and uh, it was quite quite strong in that way
1: yeah it's I mean it's is technically an ending because we have season two coming but it feels like it's the, the like the launch pad to so many other things but it is kind of I think it is one of my favorite finales or endings to one of these properties in the mcu i'm i'm one of those people who rides hard for dr strange because i think it does the same thing where it inverts the the big third act finale with um, the time loop with dormammu and it's really i thought that was really clever and this one yeah it's just like a 45 minute long conversation <laughs> which is kind of cool you know they give you the big cgi bombastic action at the end of the last episode with mm-hmm. uh what is it that the the fart cloud dog thing. What is that thing? <laughs> Eliath? Is that its name? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they give you that, and that's pretty cool. And there's all this teamwork going on and Richard E. Grant's just li- living he's just being his best self, you know, uh doing great stuff. And you have that, and then yeah, it's it's this crazy I don't want to call it some morality play, but that's kind of what they're going for, you know, right? Where it's it's all based on these decisions based on like this very weird this guy could be lying he could be telling the truth kind of thing it's this very it's very odd this the entire finale and it keeps you on edge and it's it's I thought it was great it was really good and I'm kind of I think I'm a little different from you where I thought it just got better and better as the season went on I was not a huge fan of the of the uh, opening episode I thought it was quite bad actually because um, From the first episode, it seemed like they were going to focus on just the timeline of the MCU that we've seen so far and play around with that more, and I was just not interested in that at all. But then it it changed so quickly from that moving forward that uh, it just got weirder and weirder, and then it led to that finale, which was really cool. Um, So it just kept—it wasn't subverting my expectations the whole time, but it kept uh, changing what it wanted to be in a way that— kind of cohered with what came before. I thought it was, I thought it was really expertly done by, um, I think it was Kate Heron who directed all these episodes. I thought she did mm-hmm. a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, she did for sure. Good point with that first episode because I felt the same way for aspects of it. I think half the episode was kind of a greatest hits and half the episode was kind of an intro to this show. And I liked the new stuff more. I thought a lot of the throwback parts of the episode were kind of like, yeah, fine, kind of cool. But I agree. I agree with that take on that first episode, um, despite me liking one and two uh, in this series quite a bit. But yeah, you know what? That first episode, I think it's a way to draw in casuals and just kind of normal MCU fans, it seemed. Like throw them some yeah, of the probably. old yeah. highlights to get them into this. And then that that's what it kind of felt like to me. But yeah, so um, I think that's, that's it for Loki. But um, I am excited to, to see where they go from here because, I mean possibilities are endless now with uh
1: with uh k yeah it's literally endless right because they can kind of do whatever they want which could either be unbelievably frustrating or kind of cool i'm really curious to see how that works because it's it is one of those devices where anything could be anything now so it's okay what does that really mean and how are you going to render that and uh who knows i think it's a really interesting point it's a really interesting inflection point because i think This could either lead to so many cool, cool new possibilities for the MCU, or it could just—you could just be running up against a brick wall for whatever films or series come next. I mean, it really—it really seems like it's all coming down to Doctor Strange two. It seems like that's going to be the big thing that kind of leads, probably picks up where this picked off or or just kind of left off. So. It seems like they're putting all the eggs in that basket, so uh, I don't know. Sam Raimi hasn't directed a movie since, what, Oz the Great and Powerful, right? Was that his last movie? And that was 2012, I think. So yeah. um, I, feel there, I feel like there's just so much riding on that, so I'm really curious to see where that um, takes us.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, while well, this year definitely the shows are dominating, we'll get back to next year the cinematic, kind of takeover of marvel i think they have four films coming out in 2022 so oh, it's Jesus. it's back to a uh all all in your face marvel i feel year. like i regret I,
1: I feel like i regret my uh applause for the series now i have to watch so many mcu things next year holy shit
0: i think is the marvels next year i believe i think the marvels yeah. i
1: think you have um you
0: have the next thor film you got the next doctor strange film and you is next is, is wakanda uh
1: coming out Wakanda forever. Blackout. Yeah. I wonder if that's the next year after that. I think like the Hawkeye I'm, I'm show sure. is the Hawkeye show is next year or is it this year? I, I don't even know. I think it's point. in the fall.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Well tune in doing next stuff. time for our Hawkeye breakdown.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're doing stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's Loki. That's the MCU for now. Um, let's jump into another one here. Space jam Two, a new legacy. Um, one of the weirdest mental gymnastics ever in terms of box office, uh, analysis for this movie because somehow a movie that has a budget of 150 million dollars has a heroic opening at 31 million dollars like it's it's not this is not usual right i mean this was a movie that probably was expected to do pretty big but then in the weeks leading up to it this thing got dunked on no pun intended by critics
1: um (laughs) including me in a second
0: this thing got torn to shreds and those box office estimates got depleted down to 20, 20 million for the opening weekend. So yeah, it opening up at thirty one million was a win. It was technically a win, and it's the first like real I mean Black Widow's a family movie for sure. And F nine to an extent. I mean F nine family, yes. Of they course. go hand in hand. The ultimate family
1: movie. What are you talking about?
0: But, <laughs> but Warner Bros <laughs> is playing this as the biggest family opening in the pandemic era. That's what they've been saying, which it's misleading, but to an extent they have, they they can say that a little bit. And $31 million, despite this thing being on HBO max, um, free of extra charge with your subscription is pretty dang good. Um, It is massively budgeted, but I'm sure they're going to get a lot of money back with the advertisements and uh, merchandise. I know I've tried the uh, Space Jam McFlurry, personally and it was pretty good so (laughs) they've got a lot of stuff working for them elsewhere despite just the box office um this is another one that needs china though i think the nba is very popular in china they don't have a release date for this yet in china um they need to get working on that uh if they do want to be financially viable but yeah i haven't seen it yet i'm gonna throw it over to you for uh for the uh kind of the uh the 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 woodcutter over there
1: yeah Big day for you with the Space Jam McFlurry. I'm really proud of you. Uh, oh, it is so
0: good. I recommend
1: it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, yeah, the the movie itself is a uh, is not. Uh, it's it's quite bad. Uh, it's one of those really bad movies that you watch and you kind of feel like you're you're floating above your body. You know, it feels like a fever dream because there's so much random shit going on in it. Um, by the way, amazing spin by Warner Brothers to call this the number one family movie since the pandemic. That just feels like an ultimate. This movie is way over budget and we need to salvage this somehow to me. But anyway, the movie itself is just atrocious. It's leading contender for my worst worst movie of the year. It's so bad. I can't even, like... I just finished right before we got on here and I'm still kind of... I'm like at a loss for words when I watch it. Because there's just... It's one of those it's just there's so much wrong that you don't even know where to begin. Because it's it's basically they took the idea of Space Jam, which was let's be honest, the first Space Jam's horrible, right? We both agree. Or no. Do you like the first Space Jam? Uh it's not good, but like <laughs>
0: I could throw it on and have fun. All right, but it's not fair good. enough.
1: Fair enough. Well I think it's terrible. Anyway. Um So they go with that and for some reason, every Warner Brothers the Warner Animation Group movie, they try to make everything into a weird connected universe of all of their properties. Like I was looking through um like Warner their entire slate of movies, and six of the nine movies that Warner Animation Group has been involved in, they've tried to create some crazy multi platform, multi product uh like movie. Got a and- question. Yeah. Did they utter the words HBO Max in this movie? Uh, they might have. I think they—they they definitely said HBO. I mean, they—they were throw, throwing Game of Thrones at you for so many. There's a Game of Thrones server world in this movie, uh, which is a thing. Yeah, it's just—it's awful. Uh, but yeah, like, I don't know what the their plan is with like why they think this is a good idea. Because I mean, you have the two. Lego movies, which are different because they brought in um, Lord and Miller to kind of helm those, and those are they use kind of the commercialism as a, the point of the movie, right? But it seems like Warner Brothers was like, That sounds great, go ahead, we want all of our things to connect. Uh, but then you have stuff like Scoob, which is just one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life, um, and now you have this, which is just another one, like they just make these baffling movies, and I you have Tom and Jerry, which isn't necessarily like a a product shifting thing the same way, but it's just you watch the first thirty seconds of that movie and you question your life decisions. It's just so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this one where it's so we have a, Is this a passion project for LeBron. I think it's just, I think it's an ego project because the entire movie says how great LeBron is the entire time, you know. And so they get sucked into the Warner Brothers server. And they hop around to all these different server worlds. Yeah, you're, you. This is an audio medium, but you are you are scratching your head in disgust. There, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so they hop around from server to server. And then Don Cheadle is uh, in the server. And he runs it, and his name is Alg Rhythm Alg Rhythm whatever <laughs> algorithm. I don't know what it, they went they went for. It, it didn't work, and so he challenges LeBron to a basketball game. And his kid makes a video game. I'm trying to remember this plot as I speak on this pod. I'm sure this is great for everybody. Uh, (laughs) So he makes this video game. And then Don Shields like, I'm going to use this video game. And beat LeBron with it. And then suck everyone into the server for good. And it's very confusing. But it's mostly just an excuse for all these weird mismatches of Warner Brothers references. The entire time. Which is... uh, it's not great. They mentioned, they say Warner Brothers probably like a hundred times in this movie. Like if you did a drinking game for that, you would be drunk in the first <laughs> like five minutes. It's absurd. But okay. yeah, it's it's a mismatch of just weird. Like they go to Casablanca for a second. They go to Casablanca server world and it's like LeBron in a suit and next to him is Bugs Bunny or whatever. It's just, it's so weird. I With see they the go sh- through uh, the Mad Max desert. Yeah, and it's like they bring Mad Max into this and like you, you just def- – defiled an, an amazing movie i mean same with casablanca but you, you just you just didn't have to do this it's terrible um yeah, it sounds criminal it really is it's criminal Like we always talk about the thing that we always go back to with like the, the lebron jordan debate is um like ultimately it's about who many, how many titles each of them have right because they're like oh he's got these this many mvps he has he's done this but it always comes down to Jordan with his six and LeBron with, I think, what does he have four now or something like that? But LeBron should mm-hmm. lose a title for this movie. Like you should give him <laughs> back. It's so, this movie is so bad. It's just the worst thing. And there's like a weird, I would love someone to write like 3000 words on how LeBron always has to chase Jordan. So he was like, fuck you. I'm going to make my own space jam movie. Cause then that'll make us even or whatever. But it's just like, it's such a weird ego driven project for LeBron and it's just I don't know what you gain from this it's just its just so many wrong decisions it's just it's not good strange so strange and like what are you
0: saying like this is a mess I'm ready to move on
1: <laughs> oh one more thing to add <laughs> yeah. to it Hit which me. is so weird so I want someone to also to write uh, like an oral history of how this movie was made because the behind the scenes stuff is bizarre on this movie like it was originally supposed to be directed by Terrence Nance, who's not a lot of shorts and directed this movie um, called An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, which is currently on the Criterion Channel, or was before. It's this very experimental movie that like switches between animation and all this crazy stuff, and it's a very stream-of-consciousness movie. Um, so he was supposed to direct this movie, and then... He directed the movie for like a few weeks, and then he left the project based on like what the, the creative differences or whatever. He probably wanted to try something weird, and Warner Brothers was like, no. Uh, so they brought in uh, Malcolm D. Lee, who's done. He did like the Night School movie with Kevin Hart, which is very bad. But he then he did like Girls Trip and other stuff. He's been around for a while, but apparently he right. had he had four days to talk to everyone involved with the movie before he started filming. Which is crazy to think about. And this movie cost, like you said, 150 million dollars, which is insane. And apparently LeBron was dealing with an injury like leading up that he like suffered playing, you know so he was like hurt and it was apparently a mess. So uh, it led to this. and it's just it's just so bad. There's references to like um, like the Devils, which is a very bizarre movie to um, place front and center. Like there's a, there's a famous nun from that movie. And she's right on the sideline behind Don Cheadle the entire time during the game. It's very bizarre. And she's standing next to one of the agents from The Matrix. Um, it sounds like I'm making all this up, but it's all true. And it's the worst thing ever. Yeah.
0: That's, uh, yeah. that's ridiculous. I could
1: go on and on about all this terrible stuff, yeah. but I don't I want saw to.
0: a, a screencap of Pennywise in the crowd.
1: Yeah. And he's, I forget who he's like, he's like celebrating next to like people from Lord of the Rings, I think. I can't remember. Mm. They're all there. It's just the worst. It's so bad. Interesting.
0: Oh my god. All right. So that yeah. is Space Jam Two. I'll yeah, see I'm re-
1: it. I'm ready to move on. Please don't see it.
0: I won't lie. What you're saying is making me more excited.
1: Yeah, but I, you say that, and then you watch it, and then you were <laughs> like, "Wow, Nick was Nick was right. I shouldn't have watched this." <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Let's go to a little bit of rapid fire here because we have a lot of movies that did come out over the last few weeks. Escape Room Two finally. Movie theaters are open in Ontario. Vaccination rates are very, very high here, and the cases are very low. So they open them up. The theaters are flooded. I went to see Escape Room 2, tried to see a show that was a little bit less packed. And I had a good time. I think the first one, it's very much like the first one. I mean, what, what you got there, you're going to get here. And I think the first one was fun. It was enjoyable. It was kind of a surprise January hit when it came out in 2019. Um, it's it's kind of like the, I remember the first one people were trying to say it's like a PG-13 saw sort of thing, but I feel like this second one here kind of comes to its own a little bit more. I like the cast more in the first movie. Uh, they kind of have a little bit more... Um, they got a little bit more... What's the word I'm thinking for here?
1: What jean maybe? <laughs> they
0: have some chemistry. There you go. They have the chemistry. <laughs> this second movie, uh, the, I don't think the cast is, is quite all that together as they were in the first one, but the rooms are better which kind of balances things out. It's a fun time if you want to check it out. Um, I don't think you've seen it.
1: No, but I've seen the first one, and it kind of does, it seems like from the marketing material that it's kind of what you were saying it is with this movie, because the the first one is like the bare minimum of quality. You know, like it's very stupid, but there's enough inventiveness in there with all the rooms and stuff like that to keep you casually entertained throughout you know and then, then there's like yeah. a shameless sequel setup to this at the end of the first <laughs> one it's like one of the most shameless i've ever seen in my life but you're like yeah, it's a movie about deadly escape rooms so who cares you know
0: <laughs> yeah you know i don't know if you remember the ending setup of the first one but there's definitely a little bit more to it than uh, than meets the eye so I'll, oh. that's all i'll say oh. on escape room wasn't, tournament of champions
1: wasn't there like a like a plane that crashed did i, did I make that up There's a plane thingy. There's
0: them. Yeah, I mean, you got to check it out, man. All right. Only in theaters. Yeah, yeah,
1: no spoilers for Escape Room 2. I've been looking forward to this one for a while.
0: Yeah, next thing we got here is The Tomorrow War, which was the $200 million, I think, Paramount movie uh, that they sold off to Amazon for $200 million. So they just said, Amazon, cover our tab and you can have this movie. Um, Chris Pratt leading this thing. It is a alien invasion movie that was pretty big on streaming. I know Amazon's really been touting the numbers for this movie. I think it was probably the July four weekend's biggest viewed movie in terms of just kind of everything. Um, and you know what? It wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a sucker for alien invasion movies, disaster movies. I That's like my guilty pleasure there. But this just didn't meet the bar uh, for me even, which is sad. But it was, it had its moments for me. I thought there were some moments that were all right, but then it just kind of went on and on and it's two hours, 20 minutes uh, of a very mediocre movie. Um, what's your take here on, on Chris Pratt kind of trying to do something else aside from MCU and dinosaur hunting?
1: Yeah, first, shout out to Colin, who I goaded into taking this in our infamous summer auction, summer movie auction draft. He's having um, a rough summer. hes He's really struggling and we're going to, come he's gonna come back more and we're gonna make fun of him because it's he's he's not doing well right now um, but yeah the tomorrow war um, I I feel the same way with you it's fine it's a movie that exists it's not very good like I don't know <laughs> it's Chris Pratt fights aliens I thought Chris Pratt was like actively bad in it I don't know what you thought I just I just didn't think he was very good in the movie at all he tried to do some dramatic things and then just did not work. He should just be Star-Lord and that's it in my mind. He had a little
0: bit less charisma than usual.
1: Like I think maybe he wasn't having as much
0: fun. Yeah, But yeah, he, he wasn't great. He wasn't great at all. J.K. Simmons was here. It was all right. That's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's it's really forgettable, honestly. Yeah, what did they
1: call J.K. Simmons' character? They called him like Conspiracy Theory Santa. Is that what they called him at one <laughs> point? Because he has the big beard. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of, of funny. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that feels it feels like it's on autopilot the whole time. You know, they're like, all right, let's put a star and let's put aliens in it, and maybe some like some sci fi time travel shit, and we'll make it work and we'll throw it together. It feels like it was made by the Netflix algorithm. You know, like if this movie yeah. feels like it was destined to be a streaming movie in a lot of that ways, but it's just it doesn't do anything very interesting, which is weird because it's directed by Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie. Uh, a while back yeah. and he's, he's kind of an inventive dude as far as I can tell uh, but there's just really nothing to this like they do they don't really do anything with the the time travel they just kind of give up on it for the third act of the movie which is really weird you know the only the
0: only cool part for me was how when they travel they can't like land properly
1: yeah that was fun that, but like people yeah.
0: are just kind of falling and they're like smashing off buildings because they're just like falling
1: (laughs) (laughs) so violent
0: (laughs) like yeah you've lost like half your troops just from the landing
1: it was like it was so weirdly violent for this pg-13 movie you know like i couldn't help but laugh because it was so shocking because people are just falling from the sky and just splattering onto the ground (laughs) yes it was was such a weird choice you know it's like the one thing where it made me actually like pay attention in the entire movie yeah so I was like, "Whoa! This should not be in this movie. This should be in some weird horror movie, <laughs> you know?" It's strange. Very bizarre. Very very weird movie. That's not very good. But yeah, we're getting it. We're they getting got a, st- apparently, a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Just, apparently we'll, we're getting a sequel. Whatever. Shout out to Colin. He'll draft it in the 2023 uh, yeah. movie draft when that comes out. So yeah,
0: Amazon's wanting to hold on to their uh, big name properties. I guess. Good for them. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, but... uh, Good job,
1: Jeffrey. Good job.
0: (laughs) We'll move on to Gunpowder Milkshake here, which I think I like more than you. Uh, I didn't love it, but I did have a lot of fun with this movie. Um, Big Karen Gillan stand, so, like... I I enjoyed it. I had a fun time with it. I think the cast is really fun. Uh, Netflix original. um, Paul Giamatti popping up there was kind of cool. What was your take on this film? It's kind of just like, what, female badassery, right? You have... uh, you have this girl who's just got to go on like a quest, take out some people. She reunites with some people and they kill some people.
1: <laughs> great, great summation of the movie. Really good job by you. There you go. But it is one of those movies where it's kind of just like action movie ad libs, you know, cause it's the underworld. That's kind of has, it's weird. Like it has all its makeup and all its rules and whatnot. Um, and then it's, they have to save the child from the bad people to save the day and also reunite with parent who left them all these years ago and also the dude who was nice, the the famous actor who, you, who was nice in the first 10 minutes turns out to be evil later on, you know? Very, it's, very cliche. It's just one of those movies. Um, yeah, I just, I didn't, I wasn't as much into it as you. I can see why people like it. I just, the whole, um, like, the there's this, like, not, a, not a, like arrogance to this movie, but there's like, a, look how sick this, like this shot is, or like look how cool yeah, this is. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That, that kind of like weird, like bro action filmmaking, is just, it's not for me. Um, I'm sure people sure. have written better about why they like that kind of stuff, but it's just, I just get like, It just just seems like this dude, all all the director watched is like Tarantino movies. And he's like, cool, I'm going to do that, but my own twist. And it's just not good. (laughs) You know? I don't know. I just. I didn't think Karen Gillen was very good in this movie either. Sad to say for you, Karen Gillen Stan. But uh, I don't know. She's kind of. She's alright. She's kind of just like. I feel like she has this bad tick as an actress. And I like her a lot. I think she's really cool. I I think I I always enjoy when she pops up. But here, I feel like she just. She always defaults to the weird robotic mumble, you know what I mean? Where she gets like, her voice gets really low and she just kind of speaks monotone. And it's kind of like, it's like Nebula, what she does with Nebula, but it's like, she's not Nebula. It's weird. Like she's, it's, it's very bizarre. I don't know if she's just been that character too often where she kind of just defaults to it now, but I don't know. It just, it was just weird. She just wasn't very charismatic to me in this movie. I don't know. Mm. The script also didn't do her any favors. It was pretty generic.
0: I like the bowling alley scenes.
1: They were cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I like the, that. The, there's two good. There's two good fight scenes in the movie. It's the bowling alley scene, which was kind of fun, and then the one where she can't use her arms, which, frankly, that was good. I, I never seen in a movie before, so I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was a really yeah. fun idea where all the henchmen are like, they can't move either because they're still hurt from the previous fight, and so she it can't was move. That
0: scene in particular that took me over the hump there and said, meh, to, I'm having fun.
1: So. Fair enough. That's a good one. Where, uh, like, I would watch that on YouTube just that clip. You know. Yeah. yeah. They, when I'm thinking about gunpowder milkshake in five years, as I'm sure I will do, like I'll just be like, you know what, you know what's sick that one that one fight scene. I'm gonna put it on and then yeah. I'll go about my day. <laughs>
0: um, so that is gunpowder milkshake. So that's Netflix. That movie did pretty good on Netflix. It seemed it was number one on Netflix movies for a little bit, um, at least here it was, and I think in the U.S. as well. It's weirdly. Like a theatrical movie in 70 percent of the world like there's the distributor is like not netflix for like everywhere else besides like canada us and a couple other countries very strange but it is what it is uh let's go on to the next netflix property that kind of blew up and that is the fear street trilogy when i first heard that netflix was doing like a trilogy over the span of three weeks i was pretty intrigued i thought it was kind of cool We've never really seen anything like that. The closest we've probably seen to something like that, I mean, aside from, obviously, uh, you got limited series and stuff. But in terms of just talking movies, um, I guess, what do you got, the Matrix movies? They both came out. The second and third came out in the same year, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I I can't really think of the last last scenario. I think you're right, yeah.
0: Obviously, with it being a streaming, like a Netflix movie, they can do it much easier, right? You don't have to have your traditional theatrical run and all the rest so they can put them all into three weeks and they did i had quite a fun time with the trilogy i'm not like in love with it i know a lot of people are really loving it um but i did enjoy all three the third one i thought was the best because that's the one that kind of for me we'll go through them quickly uh the three of them but the third one for me is kind of the one that i felt like this franchise finally came into form instead of being a parody you know especially Mm -hmm. like the back half of the third film when they kind of come back. I don't, I don't know if we'll hop into spoilers, but obviously you got 1994, the first one, 1978, and 1666. Um, what was your take on this
1: trilogy kind of a face value? I feel like, I think similar to you, or I think the third one is my favorite. And the first two are okay. I think I'm a little lower in my estimation than a lot of people. I think they're they're fine. I think they're, they're really good with the rest of Netflix's catalog, because you can just throw them on in the background, and they're casually entertaining, but um I just like the first two, like there's like they're not really anything but homages to better movies in my mind. And they just have so many needle drops which were just so annoying to me. I got so tired. Like five minutes into the first one where we've already played like Nine Inch Nails and like a Fiona Apple and so many others, I was like, okay, like this is if this is gonna be all three movies, just kill me. I just can't deal with this. <laughs> so but it got better a lot. And I think um, Who's the the director is Lee Janik? Is that how you say her name? Yeah. I thought she, uh, I'm really interested to see what she does next because I thought this was kind of cool as an idea. And this was originally supposed to be through Fox before um, the merger with Disney. And they were going to release them in theaters, which I thought is pretty interesting. So I would have liked to see that. Like they were going to do it like once a month or something like that Hmm. over a summer. And I thought that was kind of neat. But yeah, on Netflix, I think it is interesting because it's, this really blurs the line between like a limited series and a film which makes me think that maybe just everything's a film you know it's kind of like the cake meme where like it always has been cake you know you know what i'm talking about or am i just speaking to i avoid? do <laughs> yeah. like because it's all in the branding where if you said like hey fear street series limited series coming out a epi- new episode every week it would kind of fit right I and mean, because it's every episode is like it's this three-part thing um or you say hey it's three different movies which is what they did so it really does blur the line between what is what is a series and what is what isn't. But um, yeah, yeah Maybe I just think, the runtimes. Yeah, maybe that's all it really is. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but it just yeah, I think I am with you though. I think the third one is the best because I think that's when it actually has ideas of its own, uh, which I, yeah, I, I probably won't spoil this because I think a lot of people will still have to catch up with them because it is three separate movies to watch. But it actually has ideas about like policing and generational wealth and power, which I think are actually kind of fun and there's no needle drops well there are a few but like they're in 1666 so they don't really they can't really unless they were going to drop like i don't know brahms or something (laughs) like that you know but like when they come back to they come back to i guess i won't say it fully but they come back to the future or the past whatever they they don't stay in 1666 and they don't do a ton of needle drops so yeah made me feel a little better but, uh... yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that there was like maybe I'm just super ignorant to literature but there is it is originally a horror f- fiction series, right And apparently 80 million copies have been sold worldwide mm-hmm. above that actually so that's that's pretty cool. So it's nice that they got their theatrical run uh, there um, on Netflix. Fun time. Let's go on to another streaming movie here, one that was just HBO Max. And that is Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move. Um, how do you feel about this? Because I was absolutely hyped uh, to watch this thing, huge cast, um, and just Soderbergh doing a doing 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 a movie that you know this this size. I think the, his last couple have been, in my opinion, a little bit smaller. I think The Laundromat is is kind of, I wouldn't call it a big movie, but it's it's not like his Unsane or uh, yeah. High Flying Bird, right? So I mean, we we get to see No Sudden Move here. I know you're a big Soderbergh guy, so how, how do you feel?
1: Yeah, we all need to stop disrespecting Soderbergh. He's just, he's just out here making 10 movies every year and they're all very good. And it's just, he's always trying new stuff. And I, I think his, his run of post like self retirement movies are really interesting because he was like, I'm going to, I'm just not making movies anymore. And then he came back and is making like actually two a year now, which is crazy, but they're all interesting. They all take chances. And a lot of them have big stars in it, and uh, No Son of Movie is uh, like no exception. This cast is crazy. I don't even try to. I'm not even trying to list all of them. There's just so many people in this movie, and there's. I don't want to ruin it. There's a fun one at the end, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, this movie is. Um, I feel like it's kind of par for the course in terms of later period Soderbergh, where it's kind of genre y but it's a little different than I think what people would expect from this kind of movie. Like this movie is very talky and very um, yeah. convoluted. It's not it's not a it's classic not super flashy. It's not it's not super Yeah, flashy. it's not a classic heist movie where you expect all these wild characters kind of running into each other. It's it's I wouldn't call it subdued, but it's it's very process oriented, you know? It's it's there's so many different aspects to it and like new people come flying in, then old people reemerge and you kind of see where all this connects. And it's, I don't want to say it's convoluted because I don't think it is. I think some other people have called it that, but um, I think it's really fascinating because if you follow the, basically if you boil it down to, if you follow the money and where the money goes and how it relates to each character involved in each scene, I think it creates like really fascinating stuff about like, Hmm. about race and um, just power dynamics and wealth. And this takes place takes place, what, in the 50s, right, in Detroit? They're in, like, with the big four automobile companies or whatever. Um, So it's kind of, like, it's kind of dry in that sense, but I think if you you look at it, if you just kind of follow the bag of money the entire time, I think it turns into a really cool, really fascinating movie. So I think the third act is awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, this thing's
0: a little deep too. I mean, it's, it's talking climate change. It's talking. Yeah, that too. Yeah. It it kind of surprised me where this thing went, uh, this film went, uh, but it did go where it did and I enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it. I thought, um, as you said, that kind of, uh, that, that ending actor, we won't say, but, uh, that was cool. That was pretty cool. cool. I think it's, it's, it's one that we got that people have to have to check out on HBO max and, I think it played in one theater in LA or something like that. Uh, so it it was pretty much a purely uh, HBO Max movie, and I'm pretty sure it did well. I think a lot of people did check this thing out.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see what the general consensus is because this strikes me as a uh, critics think it's pretty good, but then some random person tries to watch it on a Tuesday night after work and they think it's the worst movie ever. You know, um, but it's just it has just so many ideas to it. I think it's so interesting and even. Even if you think it's tough to follow for most of the movie, it all sum, it sums it up so perfectly in that third act, where it boils it down to ultimately what happens with all, everything that ha- what goes on here, and it just it's really good. It's a gut punch too. Um, it's kind of a downer at the end of it, but um, I think I thought it was I was widely entertained by it, and it's it does still have like some of those like classic thrills and kind of funny moments. And there's one point, there's one part that's already been meme to death where it's Benicio del Toro just putting the blanket over the over the lady. <laughs> it's which is, which is just hilarious. I was cackling so hard when that came up, but um, I'm just i'm just here to tell you don't take soderbergh for granted because he continually makes really good movies and this is this is just Man, another one
0: he just keeps neglecting his
1: family year after year <laughs> he's just making movies every day like he, pretty much i i have so so much respect for that guy because if you have ever have heard him talk he basically is just like he's like where all these other titans are like you can't make movies anymore he's just kind of like well this is kind of what I have to play with. And I'm going to cut corners here and save all this money here. And I'm going to shoot in really quick times and just let really good actors cook with like one or two scenes and move on. And he's just, he's just figuring it out. I, I admire him. He's just kind of seeing the lay of the land and just trying to make it work. And he just, I think he consistently does.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, so at the end of that, now let's kind of check up on our, uh, summer auction, That we did a couple, actually May, a couple months back now. I was going to say a couple weeks. Yeah, that was in May. So that was our big summer draft. You, me, Colin, Jonathan. We got us two on here. Let's kind of do a little rundown. Um, I've got four of mine popped off already. Um, Cruella, Zola, Gunpowder Milkshake, and Luca. Then you got No Sudden Move. Would you take your one to my four? What are you thinking?
1: Hmm. I really like Luca, which I don't think I've had the chance to talk about in the pod. But I think Luca is really good. Uh, it just I wrote a review for it on the site, which everyone can check out. But I just that's one of the better Pixar movies I've seen recently. Um, but man, I think I just have to stay with Soderbergh. I got to, even if it's for the memes. I have to, I have to stay. I have to stay with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what with, with my four. I think I've uh, I think I've rounded out a pretty good summer slate here. Um, I haven't seen Zola yet. It is opening up here this weekend, so I'll check it out. Um, but I mean bottom line is at least we're not calling right I think his movies have really taken some he's he's had some duds so far I mean America the motion picture wasn't it it just wasn't it
1: I know I didn't even see that that's not good
0: it's pretty bad uh, it's I, I would watch it if I was you just do it it feels like it's out of like 2012 and like it was it would be edgy then it, uh, it's okay. just like I don't know, you got to check it out. But uh that and he's got the tomorrow war. Yeah. Uh, is
1: it is is the is America is that is that a space jam thing where it's it's so bad and it's not entertaining or is it actually interesting?
0: Uh it's a lot. Like it's it's kind of no, it's 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 got to be it's just bad bad. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> There's some fun action in it, like there's some pretty fun action in it, but it's just not that great. I don't think it's awful. Like I think there's some funny stuff here and there, and there's it's the animation's kind of cool, but it does feel like it's like out of like 2012 Oof. era. So I mean. Yeah, at least we're not that. But we have we have some okay slates going on here. You've only got one so far. So where are the other four? What's up? What's the other four? Yeah.
1: So well, I got I got old coming out this week. So I guess the right. next time we talk, well, actually no, this is the last podcast we're ever gonna do. Right? We're never coming back ever again. <laughs> this is uh, it. This is it. <laughs> we're gonna just take many many three week sabbaticals next to each other on this podcast. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Next time we come back, I will. We will both have probably seen old, or at least I will. I'm excited for old. It might be terrible. Oh, I'm excited. I am hyped. It could be awful, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Shyamalan has in store for us. But I have that, and then I have Candyman coming out in August, I believe. And I have Annette, which reading the, uh, the stuff out of can that just seems like a like an iconic pick for me, pretty much. <laughs> With what Adam Driver singing to the Marion Cotillard and giving her an orgasm, just unbelievable stuff by me there. Um, and then my last one is Shang Chi, so, right, uh, yeah, I have quite a bit. I feel like I'm feel like I'm feel I'm I'm feeling good because I feel like no sudden move was one of the flyers I took. It was the last one I picked, and I, it was really good. But uh, you're playing the long game. I am because I literally am because Shang Chi is the was the last. Uh, is Labor Day weekend, right? So, yeah, who knows? I feel like old could old is the swing where it could be. Oh, it could be terrible. <laughs> it really could. But in reading some of the, like the first, like the quick reactions to it, people are all over the map on it. So, uh, that's knows?
0: a Shyamalan movie though, right? Like that's, that's true.
1: That means I'll probably like it. Cause I'm weirdly in on all of his movies in one yeah, way or it's, another.
0: It's, it's, it's interesting, right? He always puts out something interesting. Um, so that's our little update here. Now quickly, before we go, we have two indie movies, I guess, is A24 still indie? I don't know. Um, they are. Uh, They're the film got, bro indie. They're the film Yeah, indie. we, we yeah. got Zola and Pig, which are which are making the headwaves here in kind of the indie film circuit. As I said, I haven't seen Zola yet. I haven't seen Pig either, but I'm, I'm going to get on it. Um, you've seen both, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so Zola, fun time? Very fun time. Crazy time. You should be happy that you picked Zola with your group, because it's, it's pretty crazy. I... I remember because Colin and I both saw this in Sundance last year, and we'd just been waiting forever for it to come out so we can actually talk about it with other people on planet Earth. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those just wild story movies that you kind of have to see it to believe it, and it's it's infamously based on the really long Twitter thread by the real-life Zola, um, based on like a, a trip down to Florida with uh, another stripper, and they just took a crazy weekend and it became this wild thing uh the movie itself is it's really funny uh pretty just very bizarre and um i would say like the one thing it's not really about much other than itself you know where there's some it tries there are definitely some kind of racial dynamics at play and um kind of bigger like discussions of capitalism and stuff like that, that i think it's it's trying to go for but it's really just about itself and wow, look how bizarre this is and can you believe this crazy story? Um, but it's really fun. It's really it's just very bizarre.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm excited, very excited. Uh, and Pig. So Nick Cage, does he do it again? Does he does he does he have a winner here?
1: He has a winner with Pig, which is I feel like a lot of the discourse has been, wow, we thought this movie, Uh, starring Nick Cage about someone stealing his truffle pig was going to be this insane movie, but it's actually not. I feel like that's kind of been at the front of the discourse, but this movie's just good. And it's it's really weird because it's one of those where if you read the script of it, if you read all the scenes, you'd be like, this movie just sounds terrible. I don't know how this works. But it's this weird thing where it creates this almost fantastical world where it's this, this weird restaurant- underground where at one point there's a, like there's a restaurant like fight club basically it's very weird um but it, it kind of takes like this these really weird like little pockets of its made-up world and kind of makes this really just sad and almost profound movie about loss and kind of what it means to be human it's just such a weird mix of all these weird things and in the middle of it is just Nick Cage just looking super bloody, and he looks like he hasn't showered in real life in five years. <laughs> it's probably true. Yeah, maybe. It's, you never know with Nick Cage these days. But uh, he—it's just—it's a really good movie. Um, it's kind of because in a lot of ways it's the, you know how like the dog and John Wick represents his wife and all that stuff, and the pig in this one. There's some ties to like actual loss, but it's really it kind of takes on this idea of just general like loss or like lack of like meaning and purpose in life. So it really is. It's this very fascinating blend of almost surreal, like magical realism kind of stuff with, with like a very grounded story. Um, I think it's really good. And there's some moments in that in there that might just like knock your socks off. It's pretty emotional. So yeah. it's really weird. It's just, it's a fascinating kind of one of a kind movie. Um, it's directed mm-hmm. by Michael Cernoski. This is his first movie. I'm really excited to see what he does next because this is just – it's one of those where um, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. <laughs> you expect it to be um, so many different things simultaneously, and it kind of just undercuts all that. It's pretty its pretty weird, I, but I'd recommend it. I really like it a lot.
0: Yeah. First, first chance I get, I'll hop on that. I'm very excited for it. Uh, great to hear Nick Cage does have another winner in pick
1: um yeah really so good performance good for... yeah sorry one last thing but just really yeah. good performance by him uh i i doubt he'll get oscar buzz for it but it's kind of one of his most understated performances of the last like two decades he's really good at it
0: yeah so. for a guy who's who's become so known for his over the topness, i think this there's probably a good change of pace and a good subversion
1: yeah you just and it's even more than a subversion too where he's just we sometimes forget that he's just a good actor. He's just really, he really is. Cause even when he's going over the top, like that shit's not easy, you know? How many, yeah. like how many actors do we see try to go crazy and it's just really bad, you know? Like there is a skill to that too. He's just a really good actor for as bizarre of a human <laughs> that he is, you know? Uh, he's just really talented. And this is kind of one of those movies where I hope people see it and they're like, oh yeah, he's actually not totally a meme. Because I feel like yeah. even with like Mandy and all these other movies where people have seen it for like the memory of it all, where they're like, wow, Nick Cage is going to be insane in this movie. Um, and he's got more of those coming out because I've seen Prisoners of the Ghost Land, and that's a very bizarre movie. But um, like people, I think, want to laugh at him, but he's just always been good, even though he takes on these like gonzo movies. He's, just, he's a good actor. He's, he's really good. Yeah. Respect
0: to Nick Cage. Uh, so that's this week's episode. Great reunion. Great to have uh, this back. And we'll be back just normal next week. We got old. Can't wait. Snake Eyes, the trailers actually look pretty good. The G.I. Joe, Henry Golding. Uh, well, movie we'll, well, we'll
1: see. <laughs> we'll see. I
0: don't think it's going to be great. I mean, it's another call-in uh, summer auction pick, right? So <laughs> It's shaky, but even, I, I can't lie. Even when
1: he can't defend himself, but he keeps losing <laughs> on this podcast.
0: <laughs> I can't lie. The trailers have been good. Like, for just... Your mainstream Hollywood blockbuster or I don't quite know if it's blockbuster level, but I, I like the trailers. I thought they're, I think they're sleek. They're good. You got Samara weaving in there too. I mean, I'm excited to just watch this because yeah. I've never seen it. You got waste
1: in there too. Who knows? I'm, yeah. We'll see.
0: Why not? It's interesting, but that'll be next weekend on the movie Bible podcast. Um, as always, you check out our stuff everywhere it is, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we got everything, uh, but then most important is moviebabble.com. Nick, have a wonderful day.